You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall show and podcast. Broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Be sure to check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. Now on to the show with our host, President of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howden. And good morning. Good morning, Ethan and Steve. Good morning, listeners and viewers. And uh, it's a weird day to be doing this. We're doing it on a Friday yep. at 2 o'clock. I'm, I'm usually, you know, I've just had breakfast when I'm here, so I, I have a different mindset when I've just had breakfast versus, you know, when I've had lunch and breakfast. So, but anyway, glad to be here. Thanks to the Pat Travers Band, uh, who, uh, graciously provided us our, uh, theme music and, uh, allow us to do that. And they're out on tour and doing their thing. So if you get a chance, go see them and tell them that, Stuart from Classic Automall sent you, so, you know, I'll get some kind of plug out of it. So, uh, anyway, uh, busy, busy week. My goodness. You know, the consignments are rolling in. The, um, uh, sales have been really popping lately. Uh, we sold that 34 Bentley, just an amazing car. And it, Packard. Excuse me. Did I say Bentley? You said Bentley. I was looking at Bentley right here yeah, on the yeah, screen. No, no. 34 Packard. Um, you gave me a hard time earlier when I couldn't remember the car, but now I, now I, that was my payback. Yeah. Right? So anyway, 34 Packard that we Amazing saw. car. Yeah. Uh, just a beautiful car. Silver and navy blue, mm. which are two fantastic colors together with a beautiful red interior. And it's going to South Carolina. All right. And we sold three cars to South Carolina. It doesn't week, snow so. down there, does it? Well, it depends. I mean, yes, they've had snow. It's oh, not, okay. it's not never not snowed down there. It's a good but. car for, for the Carolinas. And, and just so you know, if it's not out there on every bulletin board, if you're a widow or a little old lady and you got die cast cars left, apparently if you just show up here, then I come up to the front desk and buy them from you. Is that right? <laughs> apparently there is some kind of thing out there that, Girl, uh, laughing out there yeah, that people show up and they have die cast cars and they say, well, Stuart will buy them. So Ooh, you're in I, the right place at the right time. Yeah. And you never know. I bought some cool one yesterday i've got way too many i we were shopping for the grandkids for toys Mm -hmm. and i'm like you know i don't have that hot wheels and Mm -hmm. i don't have that particular car and i don't have this and i don't have that and so i end up shopping for me more than shopping absolutely so but um you know it is it's fun and it's it never ends for car guys i mean toys are part of the hobby of course that's how you know the whole everybody's uh, you know affliction with cars usually started with 97 cents right the old saying because you bought a hot wheel or you bought a well my grandmother would bring one every month every week really she visited she would bring me a new car and i'm like oh man and how old were you when this was going uh 16 right (laughs) 22. <laughs> it was last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I got it. Okay. So uh, anyway, did you ask me where did we sell cars? Where did to? you sell cars to this weekend? This weekend, Classic Auto Actually, we're one day short because normally it would be mm-hmm. through today and we'd be recording tomorrow. Uh, today being uh, December the 9th, well, this will air on December the 17th. Correct. Uh, so if, you know, if you're listening, then this will be old news to you. Um, where we sold cars this week? Why? We sold Spring City, Pennsylvania. New York, New York, Las Vegas, Nevada, Pulaski, Wisconsin, Jordan, New York, Brooklyn, New York, Littleton, Colorado, Honeybrook, Pennsylvania, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, Eugene, Oregon, Mancelona, Michigan, Chester, South Carolina, and Okatee, South Carolina. Mm. So, and then one more to South Carolina today. So uh, how cool is that? And our least expensive car was $6,500. How about that? How about that? And our most expensive car was over 200 So. 
we're all things to all people. That's it. All price points, all everything. It's like we said last week. We've got everything in between. Yeah, we do. If we you have... dream it, we have it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, we how are... many cars you have in? in... 800, wait a minute, 879 consignments mm. in the building, mm. plus 300 barn finds on display, so a few. That's unbelievable. <laughs> We're, it, moving cars is like a Rubik's Cube here now. You have to move three to move this one and to get that one, put the three reds together yeah. and the two blues and well, the yellow. And I, I was talking to a car club last night, and uh, one of the stories I relayed was that somebody asked me here a couple weeks ago, how come all the Corvettes aren't in one room and all the Chevelles are in another room? and all the Because it's impossible. It's, it's, it's like moving. Yeah. It's like one of those little puzzles when you were a kid that you had to move. The Rubik's Cube. No, not the – I know the Rubik's Cube. It was the flat one before Rubik's Cube. Uh, yeah, I, I know. It's a bigger you – know, Bigger plastic pieces. Yeah, yeah the plastic yeah, pieces. Yeah. You had to move well, around. It's like it that. Put all the yellows on the left, all the blues on the right, all the reds in the center, <laughs> and you know. Then, and and the problem is, is that we've got cars in the aisleways now. Mm-hmm. It used to be we had a clear path to every car when we had six hundred cars in the building. Now, when you get eight hundred and seventy nine plus the barn finds, uh, not as clear of a path. Mm-hmm. And you know, but the funny thing is, is that when people come in, they love it. They love the fact that it's full and packed and overflowing with cars. Because where else are you going to go in a building and see, you know, almost nine hundred cars? I mean, there's just not many places that you can do that, and for no charge. How, how's that? You yeah, know, it's, I, it's a free admission. Free it's, admission. It's the best uh, complimentary indoor like car show in the country, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Complimentary. Well, thank you for saying. Well, that. I'm, I'm a little biased, <laughs> but it is amazing. But you know, you're supposed to not say free. You're supposed to say complimentary. Compl- because <laughs> yeah, somehow free has a connotation that it's really not worth not, anything. Right, no yeah. value. To we it. really can't even give it away. <laughs> That's a good point. That's why. Well, I won't even go into that. Things that shouldn't shouldn't be free. So, uh, but anyway, uh, some of the new inventory we got in this week. Um, uh, we got a '68 Saab '96 Deluxe. When's the last time you saw one of those? Well, I happen to have a friend who's a Saab fanatic, so I took pictures as soon as that car came in. I said, "Look, look what we just got!" And he said, "Cool, so, cool, cool car, yeah. cool, and yeah. well, well put together, and yeah. uh, it's a nice one." Yeah, yeah, new paint, it's fully restored, mm-hmm. uh, rebuilt engine, uh, a freewheeling gear, and a Ford V4 is in it. So yeah. you know, it's uh, somewhat reliable, I guess, or yeah. more reliable. I think Saabs were never not known to be reliable, that, right? Right. That wasn't their thing. That wasn't their thing. No, <laughs> their no. thing was solid and. And bulletproof and safe. Yeah, and that little V4 is an interesting, yeah. interesting engine too. Yeah, but you know the uh, all the uh, girls whose fathers were very protective of them drove Sobs back in the day, right. or Volvo right. wagons, or you yeah. know some of those. Exactly. That, uh, that was my computer. That wasn't yours. Okay, was good. It? Yeah. So um, we got a beautiful '57 Bel Air convertible, and I think it just sold yesterday. Hmm. Imperial ivory over red and silver. Wow. And uh, beautiful car, frame off restored, you know, 283 V8 with mm-hmm. the power two. Speed Power Glide, um, which you know is a maligned transmission to say the least, but uh, they're very popular. We have lots of cars that have two-speed Power Glides, mm-hmm. and uh, final year for the Tri Five. The Tri Fives being the fifty-five, six, and seven Chevys. You know, I say that just because maybe not everybody knows. Yeah. You just assume. You say, "Oh, the old Tri Five," and the guy goes, "Huh? What?" <laughs> very. Uh Popular, very common, very and, uh, iconic. We have a Not lot of common. See, common's another. But it's like free. <laughs> You're very common, Steve. Damn. I got to study the, the this podcast the manual. Yeah. Come on, you can't say common. You're well, not common. We're, we're they were common at one point. We're right? unique, and there's no variations of unique. You know, it can't be very unique. It's, right. It's just unique. Good point. It's, you Good can't. Point. So I'm, I'm here to be your grammatical uh, engineer. As I well, sit too. corrected. <laughs> no, I'll screw up thirty other things before the end of the show. 
So, you know, uh, other inventory, an amazing 65 Pontiac GTO uh, hardtop. Montero red over black. Mm-hmm. Man, this car is done unbelievably well. Concord quality restoration. Um, got, you know, whole photo book of the whole build, which I love to get. I love it to open the trunk mm-hmm. of a car. And there's like all the stuff and the paperwork and all the documentation. And mm-hmm. this one's got a uh, code correct 389. That leaves it a little open-ended. You know, people say date code correct. What does that mean? Well, that means that it was built in the time frame that that engine could have been in that car or that transmission or whatever the piece is. Doesn't necessarily mean that that was the engine that was in the car. Um, date code correct is almost like factory replacement block. Every time a guy says that, you say, well, can, you have documentation for that. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't. So, right. Well, it's like you said, that back in the day, they would just change the engine out. Right, right. But like- if it was a factory replacement block and you had documentation for that, mm-hmm. then that's almost as if it's matching numbers. Especially right. if it happened in the first year. Most people just use that as a throwaway phrase. You know, it's a date code correct. It's, it's a, you know, factory replacement block. Mm-hmm. And, and if you actually have the documentation for it, then it becomes so. If not, it's just, you know, how do you know that car's matching numbers? Well, the guy I bought it from told me. Right. <laughs> okay. Not always the case. Not always the case because the guy he bought it from may have told him and mm. so on and so forth. Right. You know how that stuff rolls downhill. Whisper down the lane. <laughs> yeah. I can whisper, th- you know, <laughs> we know how that goes. We've been through there. So, and the other thing is, is with Pontiacs especially, and we've talked about this. PHS documentation is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It tells you what the car was born with. You know what it doesn't tell you? What the car has in it now. Mm-hmm. So what it was born with and what it has now could be two different things. But it's nice to know the history of the car and to know that there were some records kept. And, you know, we, we battle that all the time on trying to find information about cars and, you know, their provenance and, and when they were built and, and if this was the original motor and original this and has it been restamped. And, you know, God, there's just a myriad of things that you can just keep going on and on and on trying to figure out the real deal on these cars. And then you get conflicting information. Especially on the internet, because you know, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it so. Right, right. <laughs> it's just so we're all aware of that. And the originality and, and matching numbers and things like that dictate price, right? Absolutely. And so we have, again, when we talked about the variety here, there's some cars that have, like I was featuring a 37 Ford today that has a Chevy 350 in it, beautifully yeah. done. Probably Pro- not the original motor. <laughs> Probably not the original motor, but <laughs> modern conveniences, yeah. you know. And uh, and it's just what you what you're looking. What are you looking for? Are you yeah. looking for original Concord level car with matching numbers, or are you Absolutely. looking for something you can drive to the local car show? And I think that that that's in determining what people, especially new people in the hobby. Mm-hmm. What is your ultimate goal with this car? What do you want to do with this? Do you want to drive it and be comfortable and, you know, your girlfriend like it and take it out to dinner? Or wife. Then, or, wife <laughs> or girlfriend and, and your wife. And uh, and do you, you know, or do you want to put it in on a pedestal in a room and, and just look at it? Or do you want to take it and win the best of the best shows? What is your end result of what you're looking for? Right. And sometimes I don't think we ask that question mm-hmm. enough. And I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of scenarios where, you know, whether you're at an auction, whether you're at a retail location, that maybe the most important question never gets gets asked or good thing I didn't say asked, right. asked or answered mm-hmm. um, when it comes to what you're looking for with the car. What are you looking to do with it? And I think if we did more of that, and we're pretty good at it here. I mean, listen, we've 
we talk, your 16 year old son and you come in here and you're looking at the 900 horsepower Hellcat. <laughs> I might try to steer you into something a little All bit right. more reasonable for the first car. Yeah. I'm just thankful they didn't have 900 horsepower Hellcats when I was I a mean, kid. Come on. You know, my I, Trans Am with 175 <laughs> horsepower. I thought I was king of the world. <laughs> well, I was king of the world with mine because I went from an Audi 100 LS to a Trans yeah. Am. So, you know, right. You talk about a difference in uh, horsepower and that was it from early 16, year 16 to late year 16. Isn't that funny how things change like yeah. that? Of course, the Audi 100 LS was a terrific car. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it had all kinds of troubles and gremlins mm. and everybody thought it was a Mercedes. That was the only upside. It was, it was like ice blue. Right. But I'll never forget we took a road trip to Rome, Georgia to a boarding school down there to see some <laughs> chicas and, uh, it wouldn't go over five miles an hour all of a sudden. Uh-huh. And I called my dad and we're halfway between Knoxville, Tennessee and Atlanta, Georgia. And he says, whatever you do, you turn around and you get your ass back home now. Uh-huh. What did I do? No. We didn't go home because we were meeting some girls. Yeah. So we keep driving five miles an hour down the interstate on the emergency airing, flashers going, which is all well and good until you come to those uphill mm-hmm. grades and there's a bridge thing and right. you have to get into the lane. Right. And you're doing five and the Oof. semi behind you is doing 80. Right. So we finally made it. My dad was furious. We finally got to Rome, Georgia. And then on the way home, the car just wouldn't even go any further. But yet. you made it to the girls. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But on the way home, he had to come pick us up. And, you know, I didn't hear about that for the whole hour and a half drive home. So right. anyway, uh, other new inventory, uh, 56 Cadillac Series 62 Coupe de Ville mm-hmm. in Pecos Beige and Taupe Metallic. Over beige. I just wanted to say Pecos beige. Yeah. That's the only reason I featured that car. And then, of course, uh, not to be outdone with the uh, 87 560 SL Roadster, silver metallic over dark blue, 23,000 original miles. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, it's like almost like a brand new car with enough. I like. See, here's what I like about it. You buy a 5,000 mile car. It's cool. It's collectible. It's all that. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff could, you know, has been sitting for a long time. Right. I like the ones that have twenty something thousand mm-hmm. miles in them. It's been driven, it's been utilized, it's not been abused or, or driven, you know, too much, right. but not too little either. I think there's, you know, just as much harm for sure from that as well too. So, so when we return, as I see the signal I'm yep. getting, uh, we have an amazing guest with us. We've got Brad Phillips, the senior VP of uh, business development at RM Auction. So when we return, we'll talk to Brad about uh, some auction business and car stuff in general. And talk kinds of fun stuff. We'll be back in a couple. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall Studios in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. So we're so happy to have a guest on today. Uh, we're Brad Phillips, the Senior Vice President of uh, Business Development at RM Sotheby's. Uh, fairly new job, Brad. How long have you been on the, the job there in uh, out of Chatham, Ontario, Canada? 
you, you know, when I step off the plane back at Scottsdale Auction Week in January, it'll come around to a full year. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So you started out right before Scottsdale. That's pretty yeah. cool. I did the same thing with eBay Cruise. I went to my first auction. I worked for them back in 2001 was the sale at uh, Rawhide in Scottsdale, which was a nightmare sale. Oh, my God. We tried to do a sale in a dusty western town and you can only imagine the the fun and difficulties that went on with that so uh uh that was a lot of fun but of course you know anything you do in the auction business is fun right well well the goofy part of it was yeah it was my first auction as an rn employee but i've been going to the scottsdale auction you know for 12 years so i you know you walk in you're like Okay, there it is. That's where all the stuff's supposed to be. <laughs> so what what were you most surprised about from being the outsider looking in, from being the insider looking out? Was there something that shocked you or surprised you, or what was the perspective? Well, you know, what's really cool about what I've learned about the auction business is how much of it's actually really set up and preordained when the auction begins. Right. And, you know, as, as someone looking on from the outside before, you feel like, oh, great, they got all these great cars and all these fun people in the room and on the phones, and I guess they'll figure it out. Right. No, <laughs> they're working hard to figure that stuff out. So when that auction goes live, they've had 80 phone calls on, on every one of those cars. So they know who's calling in. They know who's in the room. They know about what numbers they're going to be expecting. Sure. They know whether to be going, okay, this is going to work out great, right. or Somebody get another bidder in here. Right. And I, I think that's typical for everybody, but, uh, it, it was, it's cool because it, you know, there's a lot of people who have never tried an auction before. And I think that's important for people to know that it's not just Vegas odds on whether the right person's going to be around to buy your car. Yeah. It, uh, it, that working is. really hard at it. You know, what's interesting about it too is that, especially in the high end auctions like RM, is that you don't see the negotiations going on with the seller like you see at most auctions, like at the Meekums and the, the more regional type auctions that are more mainstream, what we like to call mainstream auctions, I guess, where you see the negotiation going on with the, with the, the seller and the buyer and everybody's working everybody in the room and it's like, golly, it's a lot of moving parts. It seems to be in, in watching you guys is that, that everything's pretty much set with the seller. You don't, there's not much going back to him and going, Hey, would you take a lot less money for your car? <laughs> so. Well, I, I don't think anybody's immune to that. On <laughs> sure. I think what, what's different at RMM and, at, you know, an auction like ours, as opposed to some of the others you mentioned, it's not front and center trying to get done in one minute because the other car is already like, beep, beep, I'm here. Excuse me. Time's up. Exactly. So it can, it can be a little more subtle, a little bit more organic, but there are times you've got somebody who's got a reserve on a car and you, you know, you're one bit away from this thing selling to somebody mm-hmm. and, and they go and they, they say, Hey, let me talk for like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Let me again, really common and happens a lot, but you're right. It's not quite as overt as what you see some other places. Oh, absolutely. And I tell you, the funny thing about it is too, as well, is to talking about, you know, you, you have these, these auctions that are going on. It seems like 24 seven. You're, there's an auction going on. Every time you turn on the TV or the internet or whatever, there's, there's a new auction going on. Most of them are not in the realm of what you guys do. I mean, most of them are a local auction, you know, three with, 
100 cars within a 150 mile radius of wherever the center point is for these cars. And, and what we found is there's room for everybody. There's room for consignment houses like us. There's room for high end auctions like you guys. And then there's room for the, the local guy who wants to have 150, 200 cars in the sale. And I like that about the business because it's kind of a place for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. We, uh, you know, people asked us, they said, you know, why don't you do an auction at Classic Automall? And I thought that would be well and good, all well and good. The fear is, is that we'd sell 300 cars in a day. And we know that it takes us about, you know, a year to get 300 more cars in inventory from what we sell and don't sell. So, so maybe it wasn't such a great idea. It'd be one of those things that you think hmm, that sounded good in the beginning. However, maybe not so good now. Yeah, you just turn the rest of the mall back into, you know, you put a skate rink in there. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a problem. But see, I, I know not, nothing of skating rinks, so, and very little <laughs> more about cars. So, um, you know, we were, we were talking about, uh, and I, I mentioned it last week when we were going to visit and didn't get a chance to, but, um, uh, amazing year for RM Sotheby's. My goodness. The, I mean, you know, what happened in Monterey was just gives me chills to think about. I mean, it's, I mean, I know you guys expected a great sale. Did that just leaps and bounds better than what you expected? We expected a great sale, and it all performed just how it needed to, right? right? So, you know, you, you set these things up, and you've got a low estimate and a high estimate. But a lot of that is based on the assumption that you're going to sell, all right, you're going to sell 85%, you're going to sell 95%, you're going to sell all the cars. You know, not all the cars are no reserve. So, you're always working along to, to make sure your sell-through rate is what it needs to be. Right. Um, but a quarter of a billion dollars worth of cars in three days. <laughs> it was bigger. It was bigger than the cumulative total of every other auction house. Wow. Every other auction house. And then we won uh, our restorations. RM Restorations had uh, the Duesenberg that yeah. won. Pebble Beach Concord. Yeah, best in show. No, just best in show at the Pebble Beach Concord, the Elegon. We all sort of walked out going, <laughs> all right, we so if that's the new bar, we got a lot of work to do for next year. <laughs> and, and you also think wise career choice, too, especially for you. I mean, not a bad first year, right? You know, And, and you take most of the credit, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, well, we've got – we have sales specialists all over the world. Uh, it's amazing. That day in and day out are looking for the best stuff. So all the credit goes to those folks. You know, and, and, and the other part of credit due, uh, is I imagine that when you're bringing cars from overseas to here, the paperwork trail and the titling and the registrations are a nightmare and hats off to the girls and guys in the office who do that on a regular basis because that is no easy feat. It's, that's why you have a, a department. That yeah. Feels, it's not like one person. You have a department because you're right. It's never ending. Where's, where's the car? And when you list a car and it's in a certain country, there are duties and things that may be associated with it for it to get out of that country. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get that lined out right, the worst thing you could do is surprise a buyer or a seller with fees and things that nobody saw coming because it's not professional and it doesn't show that we would have the expertise that we do. So we work very hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we talk about every day here about managing expectations. If you know that your car is not going to be up on the website for a week, don't let them think anything differently. Don't let them think it's going to be up tomorrow because they dropped it off this morning. Uh, let them know that it's going to be a week. Let them know that it's going to take a few days for their title to get there. Let them know these things because nothing worse than taking a phone call for an, for a question that should have been asked and answered 
a week ago or a month ago or whenever it is. So uh, I appreciate that. Don't tell my wife that you have a whole staff for, for that department, though, because she's like a one and done here. So she's like, she's our only title clerk. And we're like, uh, she's like, I, I feel pretty busy today. I go, well, you know, we only sold 110 cars this month. What's, what are you crying about? <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny uh, when you grow to a level that you had hoped to grow to and be that in the auction business or the consignment business or whatever business it is, all kinds of new challenges come up and you learn, you take a job that was, you know, one guy doing three things and now it's three guys doing one thing because there's just so much more work to do. And I know just taking the cars and making sure they will start and get across the block. I mean, talk us through the, that, that end of it and how they make that happen on a regular basis and very rarely. And, and I'm not trying to jinx it. Do you see a car at your sale that doesn't come up on its own power on the block? How do they do that? Yeah, well, again, we've got a great team. We have a, a restoration shop. So if there's something that comes in that we have on a consignment that we know needs a very specific amount of work so it can do that drive, so it can be tested, so you can advertise it as a fully running and functional vehicle, well, it comes to Chatham, Ontario, mm-hmm. and it goes through that, that process. I've seen them where they have taken carburetors from um, from a collector's garage, mailed them up, rebuilt them, sent them back. I mean, there is a million different ways to slice it, all the way to full frame-off restorations of these cars to get them to what they're supposed to be. But, you know, some venues don't let you start a car and drive it over. I love an auction, anybody's auction, where you actually hear the car run. I just think it's cool. Me cars too. are... I'm a driver. Like I like stuff that you can hear run a little bit, get that passion flowing. Um, and I think that's exciting for people. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, and it's so- always fun though. Like when I do the reading at some of the auctions, so I stand up front and I'm, I'm helping the auctioneer kind of with, with some flow and, and talking about the descriptions of the cars and things like that. And every now and then you'll get one that comes up behind you. And we all know what that old skunky fuel smells like. <laughs> and you go by and you're like, that one's uh, fresh out of long-term collection storage. It, 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 <laughs> the car speaks to you and truly it speaks to you with that, right? Or the yeah. one that, or the, you know, the hot rod race car that comes up, you know, the Cobra with the side pipes and the whole thing and it rumbles you off the stage up there. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but you're right. I mean, the car, I've been to auctions where they're, you know, the cars are all static and they're just shown up on a screen and we sometimes have have to do that because of yeah. you know limitations and things like that but it certainly changes the feel and the dynamic of it uh and you know the other thing that we, we were talking just a minute ago about you know reserves on cars and, and lowering the reserves I, I argue that that you know people say to us sometimes oh your prices on these seem a little too high or this is a little too high. i say you know what if you knew what the reserves at a lot of auctions were you may never even go to the auction because what the reserve is and what the guy actually will take you know this is a dream number right here and then there's the reality is that I know I'd like somewhere in between here and there. And if, if you knew every reserve at the reserve type auctions, uh, you might say, well, you know, those all seem too out of my reach. And then you'd see the results and go, well, heck, I'd have paid half that, you know, and here it is selling for a different price than that. So I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I like the reserve format of auctions for a number of reasons, I, I you know, better than a no reserve auction, I guess. And I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody other than to say is it's nice to know that that you're not going to disappoint your customer. And you may not even know it. He may never tell you. And then you get less than he really wanted for the car. But he's agreed to no reserve. You know, there there's a lot of really smart people who have analyzed this over the years. And they will tell you that. 
there's a percentage, 15%, something like that, 20% of, of, a, of a bump, perhaps, out of a no-reserve car over a car with a reserve on it. It does give a heightened sense of urgency. This car is going to sell. When you're on the microphone, you're always making sure you tell people this car is going to sell. And that does spark some people into action. Sure. Some people are never going to do it. Right. Because there's something inside of them that says, well, I'm not giving my car away <laughs> for 20 grand if so nobody shows up. Well, if that's never going to be the case, right? I mean, the, this place would crumble to ashes if, <laughs> hell, I'd be up there. Hey, I got 25. <laughs> yeah, I'm right here. Can I do that? Is that legal? <laughs> you know, I mean, so that, that kind of thing. Sure. But that is when you get to a point you get close that those discussions can sometimes happen because the person's fears are allayed. And when that reserve does drop, you can see it, it spurs bidding again. Yeah. There's a lot of psychology in this stuff that's, uh, works in on behalf of the seller in many cases and the buyer. Well, that's why you, you know, that's why the auction houses start driving the car off the block as the bidding is, is going forward. And they're, they're trying to encourage people to say, Oh, you know, Hey, you better get on this or it's leaving and you'll never have this opportunity again. And, and you know, what's cool though yeah. is, is the cars that you know are high dollar cars that are, they put in no reserve and you think, Wow, how cool. This guy's got some nerve because, you know, a million dollar difference on a $30 million car is not as much, you know, it's a relative a, a number from 29 million to 30 million for a car. Uh, but you could disappoint the guy, certainly. I mean, it's like if you tell a guy in business, look, we're going to make a million bucks this year and we only make 950. And he's like, well, gosh, thought we were going to do better than that. <laughs> it's like, well, we made 950. Yeah. But, but think about it this way too. You're going to sell a, $10 million, $11 million Jaguar D-Type, something like that, right? There's so few. Let's say it's got race history. You know that there's already a short list of, of collectors around the world that are uh, frothing at right. the mouth to buy that car or one like it. So you're pretty safe. And you probably have a few bids in your pocket uh, before things start to know that, okay, I'm going to have, again, I'm going to have this guy who's already on it to $8 million right. before we start. So no reserve means yes, it's going to sell, but I think at that level, it's highly unlikely that a, that a, the right expectation would be. Well, and, and I mean, your guys' customer base is second to none, probably. I mean, I would imagine it's the, if you could, if you could, you know, crystal ball into it, it'd be a who's who of business leaders and tycoons and high net worth individuals who, you know, you know who to call when you get a D-type Jag in. You know who to call when you get a 250 GTO in. There, it's not like you go, huh, I wonder who we're going to sell this to. You know, it's not a 67 Camaro. Yeah, but you know what's also fun? So, you know, Sotheby's, the main, you know, uh, fine arts and watches and luxury goods, all that sort of stuff, they, they now own a bigger chunk of RM. That's why we're RM Sotheby's, right? They are our, our mothership, as it were, at this point. We've had 10, 20% of cars that some of our auctions sell to fine art buyers that are coming in from the Sotheby's side. Wow. That we may not have had specific knowledge of them as a car collector, but when honestly, when someone buys a four hundred million dollar painting or something, and then they're like, "Oh, that, that Ferrari BBI is cute," it's like, uh, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> sure." Then in the truck, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. So when we return, we'll get more in depth into this and uh, talk some more car stuff here in just a couple of minutes on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. 
The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with a classic, classic, plastic auto mall podcast. Where are we? It's late afternoon. I think it was the Taco Bell. I think that kind of got. Is to that what head. it was? Yeah, yeah. We're we're speaking with Brad Phillips, senior v- vice president of business development at RM Sotheby's, and uh, coming up, uh, will it actually be tonight? Uh, the day that we're airing is the Miami sale. Uh, that's the first one on the calendar, for, or the first Miami sale you guys have done in a while, if ever. And some of the cars there. Oh my God, Brad. They're right in my bucket list stuff. I mean, the Z8 comes to mind first and foremost. Every time I I want one of those, and then they keep getting pricier. Yeah, the uh, the Miami sale is going to be super cool. I think our low estimate is like forty seven or forty eight million dollars, wow. and certainly our expectation would be that we hit higher than that. Um, the Z8 is a great car. I'm gonna I'm gonna break your heart with this, but oh, um, no, no, no. We, we put on a little fun client drive through the the Malibu canyons um, a few weeks ago, and um, a friend of mine let me borrow his Alpina Z8 uh, over the day, uh, and it was mega cool. Is it top down, uh, plenty of power, and I had, honestly I'd never driven a Z8 before. And to spend it all day, I always thought they were kind of strange how they had the, you know, your instruments are kind of over to the right. They're kind of in the center. I was like, right. why did they do that? You right. know, but once you sit in it and you realize, oh, well, the way it's all designed and all this sort of stuff, it really works great. So ergonomically, it's fun to be in. It's a really good size car. And the power was just. Yeah. You know what's funny? It's a car on my bucket list I've never driven. How, now, how you wonder that happens though? You you get these bucket list cars that, for whatever reason, the opportunity never came up. But that's always been been high on my list. And you get to do other driving type of events as well too, Colorado Grand things and things like that as well. How fun! I have done the the Grand uh, probably a long time ago now. Right. But I've done a lot of other ones. The Copper State One Thousand, right. um, going to the Stone Rally, Ramshorn Rallies. I mean, I do several a year that are great places to meet and hang out with clients and friends and i and i drive so i i love exercising cars sure. on these what's and what, i do a lot of racing so time speed distance stuff out right. the road. what's uh what to me to you what's your ultimate rally type car i mean is there a particular car that checks all the boxes oh boy it depends right um i have spent thousands of miles in uh my sunbeam tiger But I always end up in terrible weather, top down, (laughs) freezing to death or in the rain or whatever in it. And it never has really let me down. So that's a fun, snarly car. But I've I've driven a lot of great stuff on rallies with friends. People have invited me to go. Lots of Porsches. Um, You know, it's hard to 
It depends on what your mood is. Sure. Because some people on a rally, they want to be out in the elements and they want to feel like you're going to smell everything as it goes by. You're going to hear a ripping sound. A, a friend of mine runs like a, a Healy 100 M. Right. And that car is basically cast around you. <laughs> you can barely move your elbows to the thing. It's all gear wine and exhaust and it's mega cool. Right. Then you get into a, a hot rod 911. And it's, it's pretty genteel when you want it to be, mm-hmm. unless you're really ripping along. So you can kind of pick the, your poison. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've always thought that maybe on the bucket list of things to do would be London to Brighton, but that can be brutal as well, too. <laughs> when you got a one cylinder car with four horsepower going up a hill in the rain in, in England. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I did London to Brighton, uh, probably five years ago. What was the car? It was a, uh, an O one Packard, O three Packard, right, right. something like that. Probably O three, and it was a big single cylinder, right. And unfortunately, uh, we blew the cylinder uh, out of the car um, on the way to the starting line. Oh, no. So, <laughs> when you only have one cylinder, there is no redundancy <laughs> in your plan. So, we'd we'd spend a couple of days goofing around in the car uh for the you know before the race but for the actual race i spent it in a support truck running around helping people and <laughs> goofing off you so, know uh, a great a great event though and I ha- and and the other event that's on my list is goodwood but that's uh you know uh, hopefully i'll get there one of these days so i'm with you there so you know we were talking about uh particular cars and you know we've been talking around here a lot about the continuation of the hobby and how we continue it and and we see cars like v16 cadillacs still bringing great money and duesenberg still bringing great money and you think oh man that market's going to shift that market's going to shift but it has yet to do it i mean are you guys seeing any signs of that wavering or is that just continuing to be strong in the v12 v16 world it's strong if it's a really good example of the best of its breed, right? V16 Cadillacs are always going to be special. They were built for very wealthy, sporting people back in the day. They still carry that ethos with them. I mean, the the styling V16 was one of the first, I think it was the first car, where they actually styled the engine bay around the engine. So they wanted everyone to understand that the engine was as was a superior thing you want to look at and gaze and admire just like the rest of the car. So they're amazing. The Duesenbergs, all that race history and, um, again, completely custom. You buy a chassis, you build it how you want. Sure. If you, if you find the best versions of those things, they are always going to be worth big money. Um, Duesenberg's are very exciting. Yeah. And, I mean, there are lots like that. You know, we, we still sell Model A Fords here. I mean, believe it or not, people still, there's still a market for Model You think a Model A is going to show up and you think nobody's going to buy that. Nobody, you know, that market's dead and those guys are gone, but it's not. I mean, people are continuing to do that, which is very encouraging for what I still call the hobby, even though I keep getting corrected by the hobby because people say it's kind of grown into a business. <laughs> it's an industry. Yes. It is. There, but, the hobby part of it has, has moved on, uh, in many areas for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny to see that, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Now I got to ask you too, because this is always one of my favorite questions to ask: nine eleven or nine twenty eight? See, that's really rigged for me though, <laughs> because I uh, I like nine twenty eights. I think they're super cool, but I am a nine eleven guy from way back, right. and my first car that I bought as a fun extra. Oh my god, I have three extra dollars project car. Back in the 90s, like the mid 90s, 
was a 1968 Porsche 911T. Oh. And it was a Euro car. I bought it out of a newspaper ad from a New Jersey newspaper. This car, it was about seven grand. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? <laughs> and the, the, it lived a hard life on the streets of Astoria, Queens. I mean, if this car could talk, it, it was actually seized in a drug au- in a, and sold to a DA drug auction. I mean, what could be better? Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect car, right? <laughs> so I so I cut my teeth on early 911s, and my my go to car out of the collection now is an 87 uh, G50 Carrera Coupe. Love that. that just it just does no wrong. It's everything right. you want it to drive. You want to be a Cadillac. You want to be a race car. Doesn't matter. Just yeah. great. Does awesome. insane. Uh, one another one of my bucket list cars is the 928 GTS, the 93, 94, and 95s. The last year of the 928s with a, a lot of power. Mostly they were automatics at the time, which is okay. I've got a, a six-speed 06 911 Carrera S, uh, but the 928 GTS always rang a bell for me. How about you? I love them. Uh, I mean, you know, we talk about auction values on some of these things. So did you think those are going to be over $200,000 now? No. <laughs> exactly. Guess what? <laughs> Hello. The best ones that you can find are what I think we sold uh we sold one for three. I mean well into the twos in honor. Yeah, I thought didn't one somewhere bring three something I think somewhere. Yeah, that that may have been that car, 320 yeah. or something. Yeah, something like um, that. We've got a 95 that's going to be at the Miami sale that sells uh but this is a bearing. It'll sell tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is, I think our, it's, uh, it's a no reserve car. It's going to sell. Yes. Uh, but it's 175 to 200 K right. is the, the estimate range on the car. And with the right buyers, they could blow past that, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. what 928, so you're, you're a fan too. They're like the ultimate touring GT car. Yeah. No question. And we'll be back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast with our guest, Brad Phillips, Senior Vice President of RM Sotheby's, in just a minute. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888 4783 or visit jctaylor.com/awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor you're listening to america's web radio on the america's broadcast network.com thank you for listening we're, we're speaking with Brad Phillips, Senior v- Vice President of Business Development at RM Sotheby's and is there a car that's going to beat the Mercedes that was sold for 150 million. I mean, I imagine there is at some point in time, there's going to be that next, uh, oh my God, 200 million, $300 million car out there. I think what you have to understand about that SLR sale, the $143 million in U.S. currency right. sale, there was also a charity component to that sale, right? 
Sure. So Mercedes was selling it to take a big pot of money and create a new foundation with that money by selling one of those two cars that they had in their collection. So anytime that you have a car that is sold and there's a charity component to it, it can make it go wild and it will not necessarily follow a trend of what the car's actual value may be. You right. may have to be a bump because of, uh, you know, some other element to it. Does it mean it's not worth $143 million? No. I mean, that was a super special car, but it was, I think that particular exact scenario will be hard to replicate for another car sale. Um, so many people reached out and have been, you know, the internet's all abuzz. Does that mean that Ferrari GTOs right. are now, are now worth $120 million? What does it mean that they're worth $150 million? Is that just going to automatically drag everything else in the collector car market up another 50% because that's viewed as the new benchmark? I don't think so. I don't think that it's going to make that huge of a leap. Right. Um, will we see a Ferrari GTO sell publicly for a hundred million dollars in our lifetimes? I think so. I mean, it, you know, if one came up on the market today, I would think that it would get pretty close. Wouldn't you? I think it would as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there have been sold that some that have sold privately, um, for an awful, awful lot of money. Right. And it certainly makes it seem like a hundred's not that big of a stretch. Sure. Look at, what are McLaren F1s? <laughs> yeah, I know. That just right? blows my mind. It just, I mean. Oh my God, they're five million dollars. <laughs> they're ten million. What, what, are they twenty? They're twenty-five million dollars? That's like, I well, mean, wait a minute. I just raised my hand at five. <laughs> That's so true. You can't, you can't total one. No. That's how expensive they are. No matter what you do to it, you can put it in a crate and send it off, and they'll send you it back to you. <laughs> Isn't that true? Speaking of crates, how about the crate motors at Miami? Yeah, what a great segue, right? So now you- that was a professional segue right <laughs> well, there. Well, hey, I up. like it. I like it. So we've got the crate. Uh, a V12 engine table that is amazing. That's so cool. And the S on it is like, I don't know, 40-ish or 50 or something. 30 to 60. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the crated Enzo engine. That thing's going to go stupid, right? Two to 300 oh. grand. It, it, it's so funny when you see that kind of thing and you think, okay, so, you know, there are, there are things that are anomalies in this business and that we shake our heads at. You see a, a gas pump sell for $250,000, you know, or a, some kind of memorabilia, just do some crazy number. But man, oh man, these, these tables, I wish in the day there was guys who used to make, do you remember seeing these glass top tables with Ferrari and Lamborghini engines back in the eighties and nineties and they were there? Around. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you could buy for nothing. The, so the industry now, everybody that had one of those tables with an old Colombo V12 in it from like the 250 GTE that wasn't worth restoring right. back in the 80s. Oh, now I pulled that motor. I put a small block Ford in it. <laughs> well, guess what? Every one of those engines has got a serial number on it. And when you go back to Ferrari and you say, I have engine number 4162, what does it belong to? They'll go back and merrily figure out, and I'm sure after you give them several thousand dollars sure. to do it, because, hey, Ferrari, right. uh, they will tell you where it is. And for, we have seen many examples of people buying a car because it's got the engine in it they need for another car. Oh. And 
and there's a cascade effect. I've, I've personally known of a deal where three cars were involved to put engines back where they were supposed to be. But how cool is that? Super, super cool that now it's worth putting together. I mean, even, I mean, again, 250 GTEs, nobody wanted them at some point. And now everybody's like, oh, you know, those are actually really killer touring cars. Sure. sure, Yeah. Yeah. Now that they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well. Putting the engine back in it. Well, it's like the 308s. I mean, we're still in shock over what those became and how they, you know, went from $25,000 cars to $100,000 cars. And it seemed like the blink of an eye. You know, I get air-cooled 96, 97 Porsche 911s that, that, that value went up. And that's another one I missed. But, but the 308 Ferraris, I'm still kind of like, really? Is that surprise you or no? So let me tell you, uh, a story of, of, of trauma and woe <laughs> in collector car collecting yes. and enjoyment. I'm all ears. <laughs> so a few years ago, let's say 2015, I had a lovely Jaguar E-Type fixed head coupe. Series two, right? They're kind of, they're around, but it was a fun touring car. I played around with it a lot. And I was like, all right, I want to do something I've never done before. I want to have a Ferrari. I've never had a Ferrari before. And I just want to have a Ferrari. So on eBay, I found a beautiful 83 silver with a black boxer bottom 308 GTS. Red interior. I mean, it was an original owner car. Wow. Original owner car on eBay. And I'm like, bought it. <laughs> Done. Buy it now. No research on anything because I don't, I don't run that way. Right. Sure. And, and so I bought this car. And I drove it, I probably put 15,000 miles on it over the next three years, driving it all over the country, playing around, going to, doing it on tours and running up and down the Blue Ridge Park. I mean, you name it. I drove it from Arizona, where I bought it, all the way to Maryland via Colorado, drove Detroit. I mean, I was all over the country with this car. Wow. Apparently, I'm the only person in the country that was wanted to do that. Yeah. You were going to say something else, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I guess. You, people can read it. They can yeah. see my face. But, like, that was the thing that made me crazy. It was like, okay, so this car is – I was not keeping up with the cost of what the maintenance was on it. Again, a Porsche 911, you can – I built the motor in mine. I don't have to touch it again for probably 140,000 miles. Exactly. It's done. And I had this 308, and it's like – Everybody's like, oh, okay, let's get those belts done. Yeah. I'm like, I just did the belts. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Yeah, I, what I, do you belts for? I Who did cares? All this. <laughs> yeah, so I found it to be, uh, I, I thought it was beautiful to look at, but in practicality, like, you put your luggage in the back and it's superheated to about 300 degrees because it's just right over the exhaust system and the nice, nice. The front's got a spare tire in it, it's over yeah. up there. And I just, I agree. I think they're really, I think they're interesting. I think they're fun to have as like that third car to go rock around Mm -hmm. with. But if you, if you want to look at a 308 as like your go to, to knock around town or go do a thousand miles in. Yeah. It, beat me up. it beat me up really oh. bad. Well, and you probably are the lucky one to get away with going that far in one and going through towns that they wouldn't know how to pronounce or spell Ferrari. So yeah. I think everybody that, went nuts for it. I know. And that's the thing. With cell phone camera, you know, their cell phone out everywhere I went. 
you know, a red silver. So yeah, a red Ferrari. You could have the lowest on the totem pole red Ferrari and pull up next to an Enzo, and maybe a guy's looking at the 308 because he remembers that. He doesn't know what the Enzo is. It's something exotic looking that he's seen, but he doesn't really know what that is. He knows what the 308 is because he saw that on that Magnum PI show back there in the day. You know, I yeah. mean, that's the yeah. thing. It's, it's recognizable. Things and it depends on what you want. You know, when you go to the gas station and you go in a cool car and everybody comes up and talks to you, and then you drive up in a minivan and you go, "Where the hell is everybody?" I thought nobody's wanted to talk to me today. <laughs> well, there's a reason why. <laughs> They're not wanting to talk to you. They want to talk to your car. So I got the Ferrari bug too. Now my eyes are set on a five seven five M, is what I'm looking for. But they keep doing that, like the five nine nine GTVs. I'm like. Ah, I could just about get it, and then they can't. So uh, that's on my list. I don't know if it'll get fulfilled or not, but uh, uh, you know, one of those things. But so other, I still like the five fifties. I do too. I think the five fifty is still just about the most timeless GT coupe design, front engine V twelve, and naturally all of you know stick shift. Yeah. Gated, as yeah, the Ferrari. Dented, Gated. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know. So I, you know, and those aren't inside. Like I'm saying, well, there's your discount. So just get a 550. You know, right. it doesn't work that way either. <laughs> but yeah. within that realm of what you're interested in, even 612s are cool. You could get a 612. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can hardly find them in red. You very, you don't rarely see the 612s in red as much as you see other Ferraris in that color. Or uh, a lot of them are in that silver or that blue or the grigio, the mm-hmm. gray, and that kind of thing. But uh, that's on my list. So what's what's upcoming for uh, you guys? What's the uh, what's the next sale on the books that you got coming up? So you've done uh, Miami tonight, <laughs> and tomorrow you're headed to Stad. <laughs> where is that you must have a lot of frequent flyer miles jesus yeah there's a double-edged sword with those things uh, yeah you know? yeah i hear you i hear you um but yeah so i think our our next sale that we have on the books at least in north america is um is arizona so that's oh. my again my next one that i'll yeah. and that's in january wow. so that's gonna come up it's here before we know it yeah what um, uh how how was the Gene Ponder sale? You had some great cars down there. Uh, that I love those one off collections. That's so amazing. That three hundred SL Roadster for a million five ninety five, uh, and then the Bugatti recreation. Who came up with the word recreation? I want to know who invented that. Do you know this answer? I think somebody was trying to find a different word for pizza. Pizza, <laughs> yeah, pizza is one of my favorite words, and I forget about that word. I'm going to write that down. I like pizza. All right, so. I- you know, I like that stuff. As long as it's advertised and everybody knows what it is, there's no harm in it. No. We sold a beautiful Alpha 6C in Monterey from a collection right. that was made up of absolutely authentic Alfa Romeo parts. It just happened that none of them were born to get. Right. But they all <laughs> made a very lovely little sports car, sure. and it went for what it should have gone for, right? Sure. Hey, listen, so a, fact, nothing wrong with a factory five Daytona coupe is kind of cool too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that or a factory five regular Cobra. You know, those kind of things are pretty cool and, and, you know, no harm, no foul. I mean, everybody knows that a real Cobra is not easy to get, although we happen to have one right here. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a bad segue. See, the other segue was good. That was bad. Um, 
But, you know, uh, they've made some amazing Testarossa Ferrari recreation replicas, whatever you want to call them, that were used the same way. They had a Ferrari engine and Ferrari parts. They just weren't all born together. <laughs> so I, I think it goes back to inclusivity in the hobby in general, right? Sure. If you have people that like recreated cars or kit cars or just resto mods of any kind, I mean, just go down the rabbit hole of different types of things you could be interested in. There's a butt for every seat. Sure. I love it. And it's always an opportunity to learn about other cultures and what other people think is cool by listening to why they think their thing is cool. Sure. sure. You know, I, I've always loved doing that. Open ears. Uh, so what car ruled your high school parking lot? Uh, 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 fastback uh, Mustang. Nice. You, I can do segues. You know? <laughs> that My was first rodeo. That was like we planned that. What the hell? That was great. It's almost like you gave me that question in advance. So, <laughs> sure, it would have felt like it. <laughs> let me tell you. Here's another terrible story. 1965 Mustang Fastback 2 Plus 2. Rangoon Red, C Code. Cruise Automatic, Automatic. Power Steering. That was my car that uh, we picked out and quasi-restored the summer before my senior year of high school. Wow. I thanked my generous parents by promptly totaling it. <laughs> You're just like me. Yeah. Nice job, Brad. Me and my moron friend and his 318 <laughs> one-barrel dart decided to give it a run. <laughs> oh, I love After it. about two miles, I think we were maybe up to 95 miles an hour. Oh, I love so it. We bumped into each other and then went off the road because none of us had good brakes. That is, I love We're all that. lucky we're alive. So we, we, yes, we, we yeah. all are lucky that. Now, I gotta ask one last question and then I'll let you go. I know I've, Appreciate all your time today. Are you are you a are you a are you a Tennessee boy? Is this do I see a Tennessee area code with your phone? I, I lived in Tennessee. I my uh, my wife and I we we used to live in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, and we moved to Tennessee. My wife did a PhD there, and my office was actually in the Lane Motor Museum in uh, in yes. Nashville, Tennessee. Jeff's a good friend of mine, and uh, I worked right out of there in my in my job at the time. Fantastic. And uh, I got I picked up a six one five area code. It's just one of those things when eighty thousand people have your phone number, <laughs> you never do. I, I still have my old Missouri four one seven number that I'll have forever, I'm sure. And I haven't lived there in twenty years, so I, I get it. Believe me. So listen, yeah. so fantastic to have you on the show, and uh, glad you're feeling better. Enjoy Miami tonight. Uh, I hear they have late night partying going on there, so you know you want to get back to your hotel by a reasonable yeah. hour. In South Beach? Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think big I'm, library convention. <laughs> Enjoy all that, and hopefully we'll see you at the next auction, Brad. Thanks so much, Brad Phillips, uh, RM Senior Vice President of RM Sotheby's, and uh, a new friend of the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Take care. We appreciate you listening to our show, and don't forget to come visit us in person next time you're in southeastern Pennsylvania. Admission is free, and our hours are on our website, classicautomall.com. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. Classic Auto Mall podcast is produced by CarSmarts Media with music by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.